Hi, I'm Christian Whiten. I'm a senior vice president at Banner Public Affairs and a senior fellow at the Center for the National Interest. I was a senior advisor in both the uh, Bush administration and Trump administration at the State Department. I think you're seeing in Iran what you see in a lot of extremely repressive uh, countries where you have a government that doesn't have legitimacy, that isn't elected since elections in Iran are, are shams. And, you know, we always know that people want freedom and want a different uh, future. And so uh, you have tension at, at times in Iran. It's bubbled to the surface in the past, most notably in 2009. And as in any dissent movement, you have a combination of economic and political factors. There are some people that just don't like the economy they have, which of course is a poorer economy because of a very government-focused system. Uh, and there are others who are inspired by freedom and want to express themselves and live their lives as they see fit, not the government. So uh, it's the culmination of, uh, of a long period since 1979 of tyranny in Iran, uh, and people are fed up. All right, as to the question, what caused the protests in Iran and what are the uh, people fighting for? You have, as in any protest um, uh, situation or a dissent movement, you have different people working for different goals. But I think there's a lot of uh, coalescing around the idea that the theocratic regime, that Iran's system of government, clerical rule that came in in 1979, that uh, replaced a modern, if corrupt, government with a theocracy, that that's bad. That causes economic problems. It causes uh, political problems, repression. Uh, and also you had the protesters saying they didn't like Iran's foreign policy. You know, they are suffering economic privation and loss of freedom at home while their government throws money uh, to Hezbollah, for example, or its own adventures in Syria. So uh, a number of, of issues, but the main issue is frankly Iran's form of government. How is this different than in 2009? Uh, you know, in 2009, you had a specific forcing event, which was a rigged presidential election. And though even though it was was rigged and it was sort of clear who was going to win, they rigged it to such a great extent that it caused protests in the street, uh, largely originating, I gather, from Tehran. With this set of protests, you're seeing it as a much broader, more organic movement. Uh, it did spread to Tehran, but it started in the countryside, um, started in smaller cities, a number of cities. Uh, and noticeably, it was also from the constituency, poorer Iranians, frankly, that is thought to be the base of Iran's clerical regime. So not intellectuals in the cities who want modernity, who don't want Islamism, um, but, uh, for, but people who um, are, are broader and frankly more conservative culturally. So that spells trouble for um, the government and I think these in many ways are more significant than in 2009. The other big difference is of course that President Trump swung the United States uh, morally behind these protests from the beginning, which is something that President Obama and his then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton refused to do. Um, you know, people are debating whether or not Donald Trump should have intervened or not. So the question is, how is Trump's um, involvement made a difference? Uh, it's, it's made a difference, I think, in ways that um, we will only know uh, farther down the road. I think, you know, one day Iran will have a different form of government. One day the clerical regime will fall. And I think you'll find then that people give Donald Trump a lot of credit. If you talk to people who were... Uh, under communism behind the Eastern Bloc, or within the Eastern Bloc, I should say, people like Lech Walesa said how important it was for the American president to express support. Um, because if you're a protester and you're being told 
that you're wrong, you're being told by your own government that no one cares about your plight, uh, and then you actually see the American president does care about your plight, it just makes a huge moral difference. Also, I think it's very important because, um, you know, Europe is sitting on the fence and Europe is often inclined to appease Iran. They think mistakenly that economic engagement with Iran will empower moderates in the regime who don't actually exist. And when you have Donald Trump come down so quickly uh, and effectively on the side of the protesters and the dissidents, I think governments in the, around the world notice and may think twice about further uh, economic goodies for Iran. As to the question how the Iran deal relates to the recent protests, um, you know, one similarity between 2009 when Obama threw protesters under the bus and refused to back them um, it relates to actually a previous episode, actually 1968, when people took to the streets in Prague to protest communism. Um, it was remarkable because, you know, the idea that communism may have been ended 20 years earlier than it was. It ended in 1989. This was 1968. Um, and during that whole time, President Lyndon Johnson didn't really say anything in support of the protesters because he wanted a very poor arms control agreement known as the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty out of the Soviets. Fast forward to 2009, Obama desperately wants some arms control agreement from the Iranians, even though it's pretty clear from the conduct of this government they're never going to adhere to the terms of a serious agreement and that they are still going to pursue a nuclear weapons program. So, um, you know, I, certainly by not siding with the protesters in 2009, Obama in effect poured cold water on the on the um, situation. And we just have a, a sea change since then. Now where Trump, even going into a holiday weekend, um, rapidly comes out and, and supports that. You know, we may see that protests ebb and flow, but I think um, from now on, we know that there is broad opposition to this regime in Iran, and we'll see this movement go on and progress. And if diplomacy can stop Iran from exporting terrorism, uh, you know, I think it's wrong, frankly, to view a binary choice between diplomacy and military action. If by diplomacy you mean just talking, I think we've done a lot of that with Iran. Um, they're very good at fooling the West into thinking that there are moderates who are in power or could be in power, uh, or that they are somehow different than the regime that came to power in 1979 and had as one of its inaugural acts taking U.S. diplomats hostage. I think it's better to look at statecraft as more of a continuing continuum, excuse me. So not just diplomacy or war, but a range of things we can do to influence outcomes abroad. So uh, sanctions, helping those who are fighting Iran, casting a light on what Iran is doing, not deluding ourselves to thinking that the huge payout that Obama gave the Iranians is somehow going to protect us from a regime that literally since it drew its first breath in 1979 has been shouting death to America and death to Israel. So uh, again, no, I don't think just diplomacy, if you mean just talks, will, will, will uh, uh, keep us safe from Iran. I think more is necessary why Congress has failed to take any action despite the 60-day period uh, where they could have um, sought improvements in the Iran deal. Uh, you know, it's very, I think there's a lack of leadership in Congress on the, the foreign affairs front. It's always hard to get 100 senators or 435 members of the House going in one direction. Um, and it's very hard that the sort of process that was constructed by 
Corker, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, of, of supporting or possibly modifying the Iran deal was very convoluted uh, and unusual. And ultimately, the big problem with the Iran deal, one of several, was that all of the goodies for Iran were front-loaded. The plane load of cash in the middle of the night, the sanctions relief in return for very few concessions, the fact they can continue to have essentially a nuclear program, 5,000 centrifuges, advanced centrifuges. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, the opportunities for Congress to to promulgate changes to this, I think, were always limited. And, um, you know, we're coming up on a decision point in January 15th. Yeah, the, people are asking if what will happen in Iran if President Trump recognizes that the Iran deal, as he said, is is a very poor deal and walks away from it. Um, you know, I think you'll actually, funny, you'll see a, a bigger negative reaction in Europe where this has become part of their religion, essentially. And this view, of course, that Europe has that it can tame the American cowboys and, and uh, just needs a little bit of diplomacy and, and you can get great outcomes in the world. Uh, Iran, of course, will be upset. I think they will say that, oh, they're, and they may even threaten to resume um, parts of their nuclear program when we know these parts of their nuclear program have been proceeding all along. Uh, for example, they have 5,000 centrifuges that were allowed under the agreement. They are allowed to uh, build advanced centrifuges. So um, the real and significant development, I think, that will happen if Trump walks away from the deal, though, is uh, a great amount of relief, ironically, by the Iranian people who don't like their regime and will see this as the U.S. for once getting tough with Iran. I think the people in the streets and the people who sympathize with the Iranians in the streets will welcome, uh, albeit in private probably, will welcome Trump walking away from the deal. I tweeted that uh, Iran, or that we need to be prepared for a long haul in Iran, and people have asked me what that means. I hope that what we're seeing is a crisis that causes the end of the Iranian regime or some fundamental change away from Islamist theocracy and towards modernity and democracy. Uh, but it, it seems to me that we should uh, hope for that, but be prepared for the long haul. You know, an example I use is Poland. Once we really got serious about political warfare against communism during the Reagan administration. There was 1989 where freedom came, uh, and I hope we're close to that in Iran, but you know, I think we need to be prepared that we're closer to 1981 when martial law was declared, and it was the beginning of a sustained movement with support uh, from the U.S. government, from um, organizations like the Catholic Church, unions like the AFL-CIO against communism in Poland. Similarly in Iran, I think we should um, not sort of just assume that this is going to collapse rapidly, but realize we have to take practical steps um, one way to help freedom movements, if you talk to people who have been dissidents, is to provide information, information that's factual about what's going on in their own country, what their regime is doing, and what other countries are saying and, and doing and willing to do to help them. So um, steps like that, steps like opening U.S. embassies to Iranian dissidents and expats, um, things that we can do to elevate the stature of the Iranian opposition so that we have the pillars or at least options for people who might govern Iran when the uh, current regime is replaced. Um, some of the traditional things we've done to promote democracy. I think we should take those steps now and put that in motion just on the basis this that could this could be a longer term um, uh, venture than many of us hope.